Super Talk Mississippi media production. Kickstart your adventure now with a new Gud Golf Cart from Country Carts of Brookhaven. Gud Golf Carts are assembled right here in Mississippi with the best features around. And best of all, they're street legal. Country Carts of Brookhaven, 401 Highway 51 South, phone 601-748-0454. What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you joining us on this Monday edition of the Rebel Report podcast, Monday, February 24th, I believe. Uh, decent amount of stuff to get into today. Uh, Ole Miss swept Xavier. Xavier was a really, really bad offensive team. We'll get into that some, what it means for the pitching staff. They do have a lot of guys hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, we've also got a very strange basketball game to get into. Uh, strange is one way to describe it. Ole Miss got absolutely run out of the gym by Alabama on Saturday night. What was it? 103-78, something like that. And there was Kermit Davis got tossed. There was a lot to get to there. What's up? Man, I'm just on cloud nine right now because after tonight, the Grizz will only have a three-game lead ahead of New Orleans. So, uh, shit's getting real. And I don't root for this because I'm not an asshole, but uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. being out for an indefinite period of time also helps that cause. That sucks, but it, it does help my team. So, kind of conflicted. Yeah, that NBA race is heating up. you got about 25, 30 games left. That should be a, should be a pretty good pretty good race to watch down the stretch where should we start i guess i don't know let's start with baseball I, be, well one i think because that's what most people want to hear about anyway but correct me if i'm wrong you're the baseball guy so all of my opinions and i'm sure people just love when i tell you that i don't know what i'm talking about but are from thirty thousand feet compared to you you're there every day and you actually cover the team i just do the radio thing um it's good to see them after winning a series against Louisville, significantly better team, obviously, it would have been really easy to have a letdown against what is not a bad Xavier team. Obviously, one that they are better than by a pretty wide margin, but it's not like that was the worst team in the swack out there that they played for three games this weekend. And they beat them exactly the way they were supposed to beat them. Not as big a crowds. Very easily could have had like a letdown series it just you know not played very well but they hit the baseball well they pitched it well and just absolutely cruised the way they're probably supposed to but seeing that after you get the huge air quotes huge series win against Louisville was really nice to see when you have young guys and inexperienced guys performing like that pretty good sign of of the character of a baseball team in the early going is it not yeah I thought they pitched it pretty well Xavier offensively was was way worse than I thought. I know they kind of struggled to score runs, but they did take two of three from Memphis and scored like eight or nine runs a game in the two wins, if I'm not mistaken. I think their one loss, they scored four. But they were just completely and totally inept offensively, and I thought Ole Miss pitched it pretty well, but not to the tune of two hits through the first oh, 20, 21, 22 innings of the game. Like Xavier's third hit and first run of the weekend came on a solo home run on Sunday off Derek Diamond, like that's kind of some next-level stuff. And not to like discredit what Ole Miss did on the mound, because I thought both Gunnar Hoagland and Doug Nikhazy pitched better than they did the week before and pitched cleaner games. I just, I, I, the, I mean, two hits through 18, 20 innings is just kind of ridiculous. Like they, they were, they did not know. How, they looked kind of lost. Like they, it wasn't necessarily the velocity, because Xavier had guys that threw, you know, low 90s as well. Like the, on the mound, they were okay. And I thought they handled the fastball and stuff well, but they just with Doug and Gunner Slider, they just uh, they looked completely lost. And I guess that'd be one of the points I'll get to here in a second. But yeah, I think they played three pretty solid games coming off a pretty sloppy game in the midweek, which I think is a good sign for them. I think them putting together three fairly complete performances was a pretty good sign. And I think this team is uh, hitting I mean, Xavier. Wasn't like any slouch on the mound. Like they had guys that were legit, you know, legit college arms. I guess I would say they teetered off a bit when they got to the bullpen, but starting wise, they had three guys that could throw the ball 90 mile an hour and had pretty decent breaking ball and slider, but they went on Friday night, 13 to nothing. There's a combined no hitter. I think it was Ole Miss's first nine inning, no hitter since 1966. 
Ole Miss scored five in the second, three in the third, and the game really just kind of got out of control uh, shortly there, shortly after that. But uh, you know, I guess main takeaway from Friday: Doug Nikhazy really good, generated a lot of swings and misses. One of the things I read about Friday was he was actually as a left-hander, which is odd. He was worse against left-handers last year. He was, I think, he gave up. 30-something hits and allowed a 308 average to left-handers last year as opposed to like 204 against right-handers, which is normally the opposite of what you see in terms of matchup. And he added, he had a slider last year, but he barely threw it. And he got, he kind of refined it and made it a lot better this offseason. Something that he can kind of throw in on left-handed pitchers that's a little firmer than like a looping breaking ball. And that's really made a difference. Xavier only had three left-handed hitters in this lineup. But, like, the Casey struck out nine, only walked two, was really dominant. They were off balance all day. Uh, Drew McDaniel, first action of the year, came in and threw two scoreless innings, or I think he had a walk. Um, not two perfect innings. And Jackson Kimball, scoreless ninth. But combined no-hitter, just pretty much dominance all around on Friday for Ole Miss. Did you but see you- from Nikhazy anything? Because you, we talked on Friday's show about going into this series um, – you know, you wanted to see them go longer. Was six innings and 96 pitches enough, or do you, would you still like to see him go even deeper into ballgames? Well, I mean, he was fine. Like, they were never going to let him get over 95, 100 pitches. They probably would have liked to keep him under 90, but, I mean, he, he didn't allow a hitter, and I think he what, it was two base runners the entire time. Like, that's fine. If you get, if he gives you that, what, you have 10 SEC weekends? That Yeah, he gives you that 10 times. I think you would take it uh, every single time. So, you know, that's fine. Like, I don't think there's worried this this like this go through in terms of the non-conference schedule early on in the year. I don't think they're worried as much at this juncture about seeing them go deep into games. But like if that were a Friday night game in the SEC and it's one nothing or one one against the LSU or an Arkansas or something, he could have started the seventh. Like he could have given you one more and you know maxed out at 115, 115 pitches if he had to. So yeah, he showed you enough to where he could go deep. I just don't think they're as worried about that so far deep in the year. But, you know, I guess it's a little bit different story if, you know, he surpassed 100 pitches with two outs in the fourth or something like that and was really laboring. But, you know, this was about as dominant as you could as you could be on the mound. So, yeah, I think he was fine. And then the story at the plate of this game was Hayden Dunhurst, the freshman catcher. He was hitless in his first four games, uh, really first three. He didn't start the midweek game. I think LaPosser started and he came off the bench. But as good as his defense was, uh, it, it wasn't really happening for him at the plate. Granted, very small sample size. He drove in five runs with a double and a home run and really had a hell of a weekend at the plate. But the, the Friday night game really started it off. I think he's probably going to be fine. Well, fair enough. Uh, and then you want to turn the page over to Saturday? Um, look at Gunnar Hoagland, what you saw from him. Yeah, he was about the same. I thought he was, uh, I say about the same. It was kind of a similar story in terms of the KZ Hoagland really just kind of used his fastball as a crutch last year, and he threw it in the strike zone a ton and didn't walk anyone almost to a fault, and guys just kind of teed off on it. Second, third time through the order, he was very predictable, and I think that changed for him, at least it's looked like so far. Granted, small sample size, it's Xavier, whatever, but Man, he struck out, he threw, what, 88 pitches, struck out 12 and walked two and allowed two hits in six innings. That was a about as dominant as as, as I've seen him. Uh, he set a career high in strikeouts. I think he shattered it by a lot. I think he, he was in like the seven to eight range in terms of previous career high, but he was really good. That was one of his best starts uh, that he's had since he's got here. It might be his best. I'm probably uh, shorting him one that he had at Hoover last year, but a little different game there. But, yeah, I thought he was really good, and it was kind of the same deal. Uh, he added a slider, didn't actually have that in the in the arsenal last year to go with the curveball and the changeup, and it's worked for him. And he looks, he seems a lot more confident. Mike Bianco talked about that after the game. Like, not just, uh, not just him in terms of, like, performance-wise, but last year you could tell his, his confidence got shaken pretty badly last year. Like, he, I think as a first-round pick coming in with pretty high expectations, he thought it was going to be... Not that he thought it was going to be easy, but I think he was shocked at just how difficult this might be in terms of the jump from high school to the SEC. I thought he's handled it pretty well, and he looks a lot more confident. His whole demeanor is different, which I think is a good sign. He looked like a good one. like He and Nikhazy look like a really good one-two punch 
uh, on Friday and Saturday nights in the SEC, which it's not like you didn't see that last week, but you know, Hogan left a little bit to be desired, uh, though he pitched well and Nikhazy wasn't good. This was a much better weekend for both of them. I thought he was really good, and they uh, the the story Saturday offensively was really whatever the kid's name was for Xavier uh, could not throw strikes. Uh, I think Ole Miss scored. I think Ole Miss scored nine runs on seven hits. Xavier walked nine dudes. Uh, Which one? Know. Because uh, neither one of the first two guys they threw could throw strikes. It was either Nick Zwack or Xander Rohan. Well, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, it, you're kind of underscoring my point there. Both of them come in. Neither one of them can throw strikes. I mean, I think that Four gets you walks into the seventh inning. Yeah, in three and two thirds each. Uh, you know, the poor kid that came in second allowed five runs on two hits. That's like a high school uh, type. <laughs> <laughs> type line there but yeah they just they struggled to throw the ball in the strike zone to Ole Miss's credit though they didn't chase bad pitches and they really kind of wore those guys down I mean in three and two-thirds innings Zwack or however you say the kid's name threw 84 pitches Rohan this kid that came in behind and threw 76 and I think you know Ole Miss didn't exactly tear the cover off the ball in terms of a, a hit total this weekend but Xavier walked a lot of dudes and I think Ole Miss deserves credit for not swinging at bad pitches and really kind of battling up there AB-wise. And, and like, I mean, when your walk total balloons that high, it's usually twofold. You're not you're not throwing strikes. And two, the other guys are making you earn everything. They're not really giving you much, which I think Ole Miss deserves credit for. So you had a 9 nothing and a 13 nothing win through two games. And then, you know, Sunday was close for a little bit, but Xavier took a one nothing lead in the third. Baker answered with a home run. And then a five-run fifth inning, I think, fifth, sixth, something like that really just kind of put the game out of reach. They actually agreed upon a predetermined run rule. Uh, so the game ended after eight innings with the 13-3 Ole Miss win. Cale uh, Baker hit two home runs this weekend. Anthony Servideo hit a pair. Servideo is uh, Servideo has like a 1,200-something OPS. He has five home runs, and I think he's like 10 for his first 21. He is tearing the cover off the ball. To me, with this team, this is – uh, he's becoming the story offensively so far. He's been a nightmare for people out of the leadoff slot. And he was always projected to be this kind of player, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was always – like the, he played in the outfield because he was a really good athlete. He could go get it. He was speedy on the base pass, and he hit well enough. And it, the thing was this year – The power like is surprising, kid, though. Yeah, I mean, they, they he talked about uh, – I think – I can't remember if it was Friday or Saturday. I think it was Friday night about the staff kind of always being on him about gaining weight and wanting him to kind of get bigger, get stronger. And he's, I don't know how much weight he's actually gained, but he's definitely uh, out of more power. He's got really quick hands, really quick back speed. And, you know, I mean, hell, he had four home runs in his career leading up. He had three last year, which was his first, like, full season playing. And, you know, he's got four in, what, seven games so far. So, yeah, I, I think his power and him hitting the ball out of the ballpark is uh, – is really kind of the story here because both balls he hit this weekend, if I'm not mistaken, were to dead away center field, which that's pretty difficult to get the ball to the ballpark. That's 390 and then some. And well, so and Xavier's center fielder had zero concept whatsoever of a warning track. I mean, oh my God, multiple times, full speed into the wall. I don't know if you noticed this, Rippy. He just like would just keep running and run full speed into the wall on a ball that he was definitely not going to catch. Like didn't even feel for the wall, just ran right the hell into it. Like a, a couple of home runs, especially that second one, I thought he wasn't getting up. Or was it Kale? It was Kale Baker's where I thought he wasn't getting up. Literally well, put a hole in the, the wall. Two of the three that went to center, to your point, he acted like he was dead. Yeah. Like he hit the wall and I was like, is this kid going to get up? I was like, what is going on? Yeah, he, he struggling to track the ball out there. And the His ball name is Natalie. Natalie Monstra. Monastra. No, wait, that's yeah. the catcher. Just kidding. Nope. Andrew Sexton. Either way, he struggled. Yeah, he struggled to track the ball. But my overall point there was really it's hard to get the ball to the ballpark, particularly since they've changed the bats. You haven't really seen a ton of balls get out there. And Baker hit one. And Servideo hit two, if I'm not mistaken. I think both of them went out to center. Uh, that's a pretty good poke. And so you can see the power. And you talk about uh draft stock for him that i mean it's it's really going to soar and it's probably already begun to soar because his range is good there's not really much drop off at all between the range between he and kessinger and if he continues to hit at this clip he is uh he is going to uh make himself some money this year he's uh like i said i think he's been the story offensively uh i think it's good for them to see 
Baker to continue to hit the ball out of the ballpark. He added two more home runs this weekend. As Mike Bianco put it, quote, that's why he's here. We needed a uh, we needed a good bat in the, or we needed a power bat in the middle of the lineup to surround Keenan, which that's exactly the role Baker's provided this year. And I think you know he looks as good as advertised so far. And unless something changes, I I, I think he's going to be an everyday guy, whether it's at first base, whether it's at DH, and he is going as long as he continues to hit the ball over the fence. I, I think he's going to be just fine. Uh, what about the the other guys in the lineup? So I know, it, well, I, I want to talk about the baseball players, just not right now, but like Chatney and Dunhurst, who had a good day Saturday, if I remember correctly, um, Justin Bench, these guys that, that are new to the rotation, uh, not the rotation, to the lineup, uh, what did you see from them on the weekend? Because What's a better judge of how capable they're going to be? Louisville in the opening weekend or Xavier in week two? Uh, so with that question in mind, what about those guys in particular in their weekend? I thought they were fine. I mean, I think Sean Ye is making a pretty strong case that you probably shouldn't move him, whether he's second base or left field, whatever. I think he's making a pretty strong case that uh, you shouldn't take him out of the lineup. I think Justin Bench played Friday night. Uh, in second, no, excuse me, Chatagnier was two for four on Friday night. One of the games he didn't start, if I'm not mistaken. Point being, he had a what? Let's see, what four hit? Chatagnier did not start on Friday. Okay. Wait, no, he. I think he was at second on Friday. He did play second, but it looks like he came in. That's right. Okay, yeah, they moved. I had that right. right. Yeah, I had that right originally. It was bench, and then they played Elko, and was it? Graham, I guess, in the Graham outfield. Graham was in left field, yes. Yeah, so I, I think Chatagnier is making a pretty good case to be an everyday guy, not a platoon guy. He hits his first career home run on Sunday. He's really rangy defensively. He kind of makes things happen on the base pass, and he's hitting at a high enough clip that I, I think he's eventually going to be the everyday second baseman. I think, what, he's at 375, if I'm, I'm not mistaken now, in terms of average. I think he's hitting the ball well enough. I get that they're trying to move some lineups around. I get they're trying to see what they have. Like I, I But I think come March that he is going to be the everyday second baseman. So what or is some- the everyday lineup then? So now that you mentioned that, I know I, I interrupted your train of thought, but after seeing seven games, what should be the everyday lineup? Well, I mean, it's always going to vary some versus like left versus right, and I think it's still a fluid thing. Like, I, I don't really know what to make of the outfield spot. You're going to need to find a spot for Tim Elko somewhere, whether that's DH, whether that's first base, whether that's one of the corner outfield spots. I don't know. Uh, Kevin Graham, at least for right now, they seem pretty pretty uh, intent on making that a lefty-righty matchup type of thing at least so far. So I don't really know. In Hasn't he shown outfield. to be able to be an everyday hitter, though? Uh, yeah, I think this, I mean, maybe to some degree, but last year he really wasn't good against right-handed pitching. And so I, I, I don't know if he's shown enough for that to be an everyday guy at this point, but he does have power and he does have upside and he's played a decent enough outfield. I said right-handed pitching, excuse me, left-handed pitching is what I should have said. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know if he's shown enough yet, but he, they, that seems like a matchup guy for right now. But again, this is all still pretty fluid. Like, I, I don't know what the outfield's going to look like still. Like, I, I, if Mike wants to play bench at second base, then maybe it's shot and in left field or maybe it's vice versa. If he wants to play both of them, I don't know what it looks like. So it's it's still kind of rounding into form. No one's really separating the outfield. I think you've got to keep Elko's bad in there, but you can do that at first base as well. Like it, it's all very fluid right now, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I they gave Plumlee the start in left field on Saturday. I don't believe he had a hit. I'm gonna double check to make sure that is correct. Yeah, I, I don't see Plumlee playing out there to be honest. I think it's gonna be Salmons or Ely in center, and then the corner outfield spots are just gonna kind of be a combination of whose bat they want to have in the lineup versus lefty-righty when it comes to guys like Kevin Graham. So I don't really know, I guess, is to answer your question. Do you I think like it's that. good or bad or just kind of how it is as far as the uh, inability to have a, a consistent lineup? I don't know if it's the inability, but the uh, it doesn't seem like they want to iron it down just yet. They're still moving a lot of pieces around and trying guys out. 
Do you think that has any kind of negative effect, or is this just normal, it's fine, you're going to move some guys, you're going to figure some shit out, and then uh, go from there? No, I think every single team in the country is doing this right now. Like, I mean, you're, you're two weekends into a 56-60 game season, whatever, however many games you play. No, I think every team in the country is doing this now. I don't think this is uncommon at all. I think, I mean, hell, they played seven games. They've got 20 dudes that they think uh, can kind of contribute in some way. I mean, it, it's tough. you got to put a lot of guys on the mound, and you've got to put a lot of guys in the field. I don't think this is really uncommon at all. Uh, so... I don't know. The outfield is still kind of a mess. Like, I still don't uh, quite understand what they have going there. Or, excuse me, I don't understand what that is going to be yet. I don't think Mike knows quite yet. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But no one's really separated themselves in the outfield. Like, when Elko's out there, it's, you know, it's because he's hitting. But the the Salmons, Plumlee, Ely, Kevin Graham... I guess you throw bench kind of in there. Like no one's hit enough to where you say, I need one of the, like he has to be at one of these outfield spots. Even if it's a matchup thing, lefty, righty, righty, lefty, whatever. Like no one's really kind of separated themselves. So I think that's still very fluid situation. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I think you'll probably figure out in the next month, but no, I, I don't think this is uncommon at all. I think most all teams are going through this, this time of year. Um, I'm trying to think any other just kind of main takeaways from the weekend i mean they hit i think nine home runs this weekend that's a lot of power for a team that had to replace like 70 percent of its hits last year and a ton of run production in the middle of the lineup so i think that's obviously a, a pretty good sign for them that they're hitting the ball with power hitting the ball over the fence and you know the run total is is through seven games has been pretty damn good i think it's offensively in terms of there being a drop off you haven't really seen one yet and that that's about as good as they could have asked for it uh, and people talk often about, well, the scouting reports are going to come out eventually. Um, is that – okay. This is going to be a dumb question, but uh, my role here is to kind of facilitate you, especially when we're talking baseball. So when the scouting reports come out, what will they say on some of these guys? Do you think that's an overblown concept or is some kind of a wall potentially coming for some of these unknowns like a Kale Baker? I mean, it's really not something you can answer until it happens. I mean, obviously, you're going. What on would the, the scouting new- report say on Kale Baker? I mean, you're you're through seven games, so I would say one. Uh, <laughs> don't throw don't a throw him a fastball. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Like, I don't think he's going to see as many, but I I, I don't. I mean, in terms of like what the actual scouting report, what opponents are going to say, I don't really know. Other than don't leave a fastball over the middle of the plate, but again, it's you're still kind of pretty like what small. What you do to everybody, though, right? It's like don't leave them a, a hanging meatball, you know? Yeah, but I mean, you're still only seven games in. I mean, you're, I think you're talking under thirty at bat, so it's hard. It's a more difficult to tell. I don't know. Will there be some drop off for these guys once the scouting report builds and you get into SEC play? Sure, but I think that would be a product of just the pitching uptick in terms of quality and consistency more than anything else so i don't know as far as like scouting report uh you know i those things kind of build through the first month month and a half of the season so if you can get me to like 40 45 at bats with these dudes i think you'd have a better idea but i don't know they're hitting it well they're pitching it well i don't think there's a whole lot mike bianco can complain about i think if are they talented one- enough to overcome that 45 at bat sample size that teams will have on them what like what do you mean? Like, do you think Kale Baker, when people know, I'm just using him as the example, uh, and your number, when 45 at bats are out on Kale Baker, is he talented enough to where that won't matter? Like, if Vanderbilt, of course, very different pitching staff than what he saw this weekend, but do you think even if they know what his strengths and weaknesses are, or whatever the scouting report says, he's talented enough to overcome that and continue being a middle of the lineup uh, home run type hitter for this team all season long. Does he possess that kind of talent? I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, does Juco triple crown winner? I mean, he's hitting the ball over the fence, hitting with power. I don't think the fact that the team's built a scouting report is going to change a ton with him. I mean, you saw it a yeah, little bit. That's my bit. question really is, is are, are these seven games where they've really hit the baseball well due to, you know, sometimes teams just, have a hot start and they hit the ball a little bit and they win a few games uh or is it because they are more talented than maybe people gave them credit for 
No, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily them anyone undervaluing Ole Miss's talent, but anytime you have a bunch of dudes that haven't done it before and haven't actually produced or played at the SEC level, there's going to be question marks because particularly in college baseball, there's really no substitute for experiences and guys that have been through the season. So I don't think it was anyone undervaluing their talent. It's just wanting to see them do it, and so far, so good. And again, I think you just kind of have to continue to monitor it throughout I mean, as you kind of wade deeper into the season. But like like I said, it's kind of so far so good. I don't think there's much for Mike Bianco to complain about with this group. I think if there was probably one gripe, the bullpen was a little shaky. Uh, they didn't pitch it particularly well against Alcorn State. Uh, outside of Greer Holston, got everyone they threw out of the bullpen was dominant. They had Cole Baker come in on Friday night. You had Jackson Kimbrell, or excuse me, on Saturday. You had Jackson Kimbrell and Drew McDaniel pitch for the first time on Friday. You know, like I said, everyone that came in out of the pen was pretty dominant outside of Greer Holston, who struggled again for the second time this week, who came in when the game was like, like eight, nine, nothing, something like that in, or oh, maybe it was like 11, one um, on Sunday in the seventh inning. Yeah. They all they had to do was get runs. out of the inning and the game was over. Right. And they played it two runs off him, had a couple hits outside of, outside of Holston struggling. The bullpen was about as good as you could ask. Like Taylor Broadway was good. Uh, I even thought Max Chofi at the end of that game, even though it was out of sorts, was all right. I thought Kimbrell looked pretty good. Same with Baker. And then Austin Miller uh, was pretty dominant on Saturday, which is not really any surprise. But I, I think if there was one gripe and there was something left to be desired from the first four games of the season, it was how the bullpen is pitched. And I think they answered the bell there pretty well. But again, it's a little harder to tell because I didn't I didn't envision Xavier being that inept offensively. And they were they were uh, they were pretty rough. So. Was it ineptitude or was it oh, – well, okay, I guess it can be both things, but you, you described their offense as inept. What if Ole Miss just pitched it really well? I think that can be true too, but, I mean, hell, they had – I mean, they only had – they had <laughs> two hits in two, two days. Two and yeah. 29 strikeouts in two days. Like, I don't think the Ole Miss pitching staff is – I mean, I don't think they're that good. good. That good. <laughs> no, enough. not quite to that level. But, no, I mean, Ole Miss did pitch it well. I think they deserve credit for it. But, again, it's harder to gauge when you have a team that doesn't really muster much of a fight. I mean, no, they didn't have a run until a solo shot in the third inning on Sunday. I mean, that's 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 pretty brutal offensive. I mean, whether it's approach, whether they just don't have guys that are any good, I don't know. But that that's they pretty they picked brutal. to finish high in the Big East? I believe they were a second-place team in the Big East last year. They took two or three from Memphis opening weekend. So, yeah, they've been okay. Like, they, 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 I thought – and like I said, on the mound-wise, I thought they were pretty good. So, I, I don't know what they're going to end up being. But, yeah, I mean, they, they weren't thought to be a, a, a come-in-and-roll-over type of deal. But, you know, whatever. What about the overreaction bowl on Tuesday? Uh, to – wait. Oh, they, uh, so, they yeah, have Southern the, Miss tomorrow. They do. They have Southern Miss on Tuesday. Wes Burton starting for them. Wes Burton, the big 6'8 kid you saw that pitched really well in the Sunday game against Louisville. Didn't pitch this week. Uh, once you kind of figured you got to Sunday, I didn't figure they'd see him on Sunday. I figured they would stay uh, They would stay with him. Or, excuse me, they would hold him and pitch him uh, in the midweek. So, anyway, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, I, we're kind of rambling here, but I think so far so good. Uh, it'll be interesting to see Burton kind of extended and stretched out on Tuesday. But, yeah, I thought it was a pretty dominant weekend all around. I don't really know how much how much else you can sum it up. Uh, they're hitting the ball well, uh, really from top to the bottom of the lineup, because the bottom of the lineup, guys, were really what drove the run production on Friday night, which I think is a good sign for them. Dunhurst really swinging the bat well. I think the fear – I mean, Cooper Johnson his freshman year, as good as he was defensively, I think hit a 5-for-56 slump. Uh, and actually did pretty well through the second part of that year. He pulled his average up to like 213, and after you start that badly, that's actually fairly impressive. I don't think you're going to see any of that with Dunhurst. I think he's been fine. Uh, as he put it, he saw the ball pretty well opening weekend, just had some bad luck, and his timing was a little off, probably some jitters. But he's looked pretty good. Defense kind of speaks for itself. Does have some receiving issues, but I think that's kind of just natural in terms of an 18-year-old freshman catching in the SEC uh, and then I guess the other big takeaway, the last thing I'll wrap up with is Derek Diamond has really looked the part through two starts. And that's a kid. I mean, uh, you saw with Gunnar Hogan last year, how, how much of a struggle it can to kind of 
you know, fill in a Sunday role as a freshman on Sundays. Struck out six, gave up the solo home run, scattered two other hits. It looked really good, looks really comfortable. I think that's as an important sign as anything for Ole Miss is he's been competent, he's been pretty good, and like he his demeanor and his approach and everything seems that of an upperclassman. And so I, I think that's probably Along with Sir Video, to me, those are the two biggest storylines right now. Is Derek Diamond pitching really well and Sir Video tearing the cover off the ball? He's been so impressive, man. That power uh, for for a little guy is um, it's hard to fathom, especially earlier in the year. You mentioned it a few minutes ago. In that ballpark, balls don't really fly out of center field the way they do at any time of the year. And it's 50 degrees out, and there's, I mean, the, the power on this team is impressive in the early going, considering the weather conditions and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, they're they're hitting the ball well, which that was kind of the big question. Would they be able to hit, hit consistently and hit with power? And they've done that so far. So, so far, so good. I think Mike Bianca's probably got to be pretty pleased with where his team's at. They'll play Southern Miss and head to, I think, saw the LeClaire Classic this weekend, whatever it is. It's in Greenville. They'll play... Uh, they will play East Carolina, which is kind of the headline matchup, and then two other schools, which I'll look up it's here in a second. It's point, um, and then Indiana. And the only game you'll be able to watch via online stream is the East Carolina game. So okay. uh, uh, you, you got Kill'em on the radio on Friday and on uh, on Sunday. 11 a.m. and 10 a.m. starts for Friday and Sunday, by the way. So pretty early, but anyway, before we shift to basketball, I'll remind you, podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue. Go see Greg. We appreciate him sponsoring the show. The LB's ad are everywhere baseball season. It's Swayze. Greg feeds the baseball team. He can feed you while you watch the baseball team. I was supposed to have Greg on two Fridays ago and just kind of dropped the ball on that. So I am going to sit down with him Tuesday or Tuesday probably for Wednesday's show. Talk some meat, talk some baseball. Uh, kind of let him fill you in on what he's got going on at LB's right now. But go see him, University Avenue across from Kroger. Got steaks, custom cuts. He's got all kinds of sausages you can go throw on the grill. He's got game packs where you can take out to left field, and it's the perfect amount, perfect type of food for baseball season. Greg feeds the baseball team. He can feed you while you watch the baseball team. Go see him, University Avenue across from Kroger. But so transitioning, I guess, to basketball was a really I guess weird... is the very appropriate word to use for that. Yeah, I mean, just a really, really strange game on Saturday night. I I don't even really know where to start with this one. Ole Miss was kind of run out of the gym from the jump. It was a poorly officiated game. There was never really much flow to it. I think there were 49 fouls called. Uh, Ole Miss trailed pretty much from, like I said, from the start of this game. I... I Alabama, if there was a type of team where Ole Miss was going to wave the white flag, if there was a white white flag type of game to where it was kind of like, all right, like this season's not gone the way we thought, uh, like we're going to kind of tap out. It's an Alabama team that shoots a billion threes and gets the ball up the court and is just kind of relentless in terms of dictating the pace of a game. And I think that's exactly what happened here. I mean, as, as much as it was made of Alabama's three-point shooting, and they did go 13 to 29 from three, they had 40 paint points and really just murdered Ole Miss inside. I mean, it was it. They, I mean, they killed them on the glass. They turned them over 21 times. They had 40 paint points. I mean, it was it was a mauling. And then things, obviously, the kind of the highlight, I guess, if you could call it that, of the game was things really got weird in the second half. Kermit Davis gets his second technical, gets tossed after a Bree and Tyree technical. Uh, and then at like five minutes later, as everyone's still kind of angry at the official, some 84-year-old lady sunk a putt to win a car. It was just weird all around, to be completely honest. What a, like, I, I, left, I left that game thinking, man, like one, this seems kind of like the white flag game. They don't have a ton left in the tank. And two, what a strange, strange night in general. Alabama really just kind of blew the doors off Ole Miss from the jump. I don't really know how much other way to describe it. Yeah, there isn't. And, I mean, K.J. Buffin getting hurt didn't help. But you saw uh, – I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. This may be the wrong observation. But I think you saw, even though Hadim C's played much better in the last few weeks, physical, he still has a long way to go. Um, turn the basketball over. It just – he is – Coming along, but still his game, especially the physicality, just got kind of bullied down low, at least based on what I saw. Maybe I'm wrong, but he showed you how far yet he still has to go to be a really good big in the SEC. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. He also didn't have a ton of help. Like, he plays a lot oh, of no. minutes. 
there's not much depth back there, particularly when Buffin got hurt. Buffin, uh, KJ Buffin, hurt after scoring just I think two points in the first half. He had a back thing flare up and didn't come out and wasn't on the bench for the second half. And that really just kind of hamstrung them in terms of depth. They're already a thin team. But, yeah, I think that observation's fair. That and his hands have a long way to go in terms of catching and finishing around the rim. At times, he's a pretty good rebounder and probably underrated in terms of his toughness rebounding, at least for the last three to four weeks. I think that's probably accurate. But just Alabama just bullied Ole Miss inside. They eroded their depth. They drove the ball at him. They got him in foul trouble. I mean, uh, this was... This was a pretty dominant performance just all the way around. I mean, Alabama, I think, had five dudes in double figures. Petty had 21. Shackleford, 18. Kyra Lewis Jr. with 17. And like I said, as much as everyone made of the paint, I mean, of the three-point shooting, they were 13 to 29. They had 40 points in the paint, and I think they shot 56% from the field for the game. Yeah, 37 of 66. I mean, that's that's taking it to another team on the interior, and this just really didn't go right for Ole Miss from the start. As Kermit Davis kind of mentioned, after the game, there just was no rhythm. There was no flow to it. It was a horribly officiated game, I thought, on both ends. I mean, 49 foul calls. Both teams were in the bonus in the second half. From, like, the 11-minute 11 11 minute mark on, The uh, I mean, aside from just uh, foul calls, the officials just didn't really have much control of this game overall. And when that happens in a college game, the rest of it is just kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, I mean, how almost and- gave up 58 points in the second half, though. Yeah, that's that's hard to fathom. And those can be two separate thoughts. And some people sometimes have such a hard time of separating those two thoughts. Like you can say Ole Miss lost because they turned the basketball over 21 times. They lost for a lot of reasons, none of which were because of the refs. However, it was poorly officiated. The game, it was hard to watch. There was no flow, as you mentioned. They're handing out technicals. It, it was it was a disaster. The SEC should be embarrassed with the way that game was officiated. That does not mean that's why Ole Miss lost. And people have such a hard time separating those two thoughts when you say them. I even dealt with that yesterday on the Sunday show. Uh, I had somebody text in, well, you're just defending Ole Miss talking about the refs. No, no. They're separate thoughts. Ole Miss lost the basketball game because they played poorly. As, as you mentioned, they got bullied inside. Alabama shot the basketball well. They played like crap, got bullied. Alabama shot well, and they turned the basketball over too much. Period. Full stop. That's why they lost the basketball game. Also, it was officiated terribly. You were, they were handing out texts to co- both coaches, and as you mentioned, 11 minutes of bonus free throws. I mean, who the hell wants to watch that? That is – it's embarrassing. And – I mean, maybe the SEC doesn't care enough to do something about it. They should, though, because that's a bad product. Not because Ole Miss lost. It would have been a bad product if they won 103-78. to It was just simply, that's bad. It's unfathomable, and there's actually numbers to back up, too. I mean, we've you've seen and heard people on social media and people that text into the radio show and whatnot uh, complaining about the officials, but there are more fouls called in the SEC than any other conference. There are more teams that average more fouls than any other conference by a significant number. It's, and it's not just because the quality of play, like the, some responses are, we'll just stop fouling. Well, it's not that simple because the SEC is not a bad basketball league anymore. But there's got to be a style of play thing there, too, because in college hoops, officials aren't really assigned leagues. Like Doug Shows and, and TV Teddy, like they kind of go to games all over the country. So I wonder they what do. that stems from. I mean, maybe it is a style of play thing, but either way, something has to be done. Because that, for whatever reason, the SEC is far and away ahead of every other Power Five conference in fouls called per game and teams averaging 18 and a half fouls per game. I mean, it's not even close. Not even close. And it's not a bad basketball league. Maybe the style of play is different, but something has to be done, man, because that's not a good product. And it doesn't do it doesn't do the kids any service either, because that's not really how basketball is played. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean, they're the only level that does the bonus thing in the two halves now, and now that the women's game has gone to four quarters. But if you're not gonna, if you really want to hold on to the two halves thing, at least restructure the bonus thing. It just when you have a game like that and a wish of 
the officials are quick and inconsistent on the whistle. It just makes for an incredibly difficult watch. But again, Ole Miss just really got absolutely annihilated. Yeah, they thing. got smoked because the Alabama was much better than them on Saturday night. That's why. And Bama's a bubble team fighting for their tournament life, and they certainly played like one. They're an interesting team because they're very volatile in terms of their style of play. Like one of their games, they're going to get up and down the floor, and they're lar- they're kind of like Auburn to where they're largely dictated on whether they're making perimeter jump shots. But like they're either going to punch you in the mouth or things are going to go wildly, wildly out of control for them. They're an interesting team. I think Nate Oates has done a pretty good job for, the- for them in year one. He's done a really good job, all things considered. So, anyway, Ole Miss, what, now 13 and 14, like 4 and 10. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know how they make the NIT at this point. The season just kind of is what it is. It didn't go their way. You know, they had a little bit of poor injury luck. They got off to a terrible start. Like, it just, it, it's been a strange and frustrating year for them. I know it's been frustrating for Kermit Davis, but you just – kind of is what it is at this point I, I mean I don't think they've to their credit to this point they haven't quit I'm not suggesting that at this point but they're just not really a whole lot to play for for them in these last four or five games what was interesting was Brian Tyree fouls out with like eight and a half minutes left I think something like that and still somehow managed 28 points in 30 minutes he's just that good man yeah he shot 12 free throws in 30 minutes I keep thinking going into the season I thought he didn't have a shot in hell at playing in the NBA and just to, to be frank, I still don't think he really does, but somebody's going to give him a shot. Yeah, I mean, he's good offensively. The defense leaves a lot to be desired. A little small. Even I mean, Dusty Hand has like, got called up on a 10-day to play with the Grizzlies, so if he can play in the NBA, then by God, Brian Tyree can play in the NBA. Yeah, the thing with Tyree, though, is, is like if you're going to be that kind of fringe guy that gets caught up, you better guard your ass off. And he doesn't always do that sometimes. And I'm not knocking the kid. He's been outstanding. He's, and honestly, it's a shame for him that he's not going to have a better player of the year case because he should be right up in that conversation. But the problem is his team stinks. But just yeah. from an NBA perspective, like you've got to defend on a nightly basis. Oh, but wait, they don't play defense in the NBA. That's why I can't watch it. <laughs> Yeah, the good teams do. No, I know. I just I, I see that from people all the time. So, oh, I can't watch it. They don't play defense. Look, they absolutely do. Just because they get scored on doesn't mean they're playing defense. Yeah, it doesn't so mean they're I, not playing defense. Yeah, so uh, frustrating year. I hate to see Tyree's senior year kind of in. I kind of come down this way because it, it does suck for him. You got to feel for him because you, you thought this was going to be a tournament team. They came in with a pretty decent amount of expectations and it just hasn't panned out. So I don't really know what to look for in terms of just like why you would watch the last three, four games for them, but uh, they, they are going to play them. So that was a, uh, that was a strange night. That lady winning the car was pretty wild. I've never in all the years they've done that promotion. And Ole Miss is not the only place that does it. Plenty of places do the line up the fake golf hole at one end and let someone hack a putt type of deal. I've never seen it go in, and that lady drilled it. And I like she was in a seat that was like right near the section where the media is seated, and she just sat down afterwards and started sipping whatever she was drinking or whatever as if she'd won like 15 bucks to sam's club and acted like nothing happened it was a uh, pretty savage reaction in terms of just like the subdued nature of it so uh, good for that lady that was that was pretty wild i appreciate her providing entertainment in what was an already boring night yeah that uh i mean it's made its way everywhere fox news everything yeah that really has it kind of made the rounds at the it was interesting originally they said she was 86 and then once all the national places got a hold of it, somehow she got two years chopped off for her life, and she's now 84. So by the time this hits like Saturday down south, she's going to be like 71. So <laughs> she's uh, she's got it going on. I just wondered at 86, like I wonder, if, like I'm not like not to be rude, but can she drive? Like who gets the car if she can't? She gets to sell it. I've always wondered that. Like if I ever won a car at one of those games, I would just turn around and sell it. And that'll be the first thing I would do, right? Unless there's like some clause that you can't. I don't know. So that was uh, either that, that was, or like if the car's valued at twenty two thousand dollars, give me eighteen, and you can keep the car and sell it. I mean, I'm probably selling that thing regardless. Like, I mean, I don't know what kind of car it is, but like if I won something like that, I would probably want the uh, 
like the the value of it more so than I would want the actual vehicle. I mean, I guess it depends on what it is, but I might sell it anyway. That's exactly what I would do. I would find a way to sell it. I don't care what kind of car it is. I wonder if she actually gets a car if it's just like an insurance credit type of thing. Oh, see, that would just be lame. That'd be like what the what the Knicks did. Um, they had a, a half-court shot for $1,000, and the guy hits the shot, right? And it's not $1,000. It was $1,000 in scratch-off lottery tickets. I saw that. That guy lost his mind as if he had just hit the Powerball. Yeah, and it was... I think it was 500 tickets, and he won like not anywhere close to a thousand bucks. Damn! Like he had to sit there and scratch off lottery tickets all day to to not win any money. (laughs) Yeah, that would. uh, I mean, uh, yeah, that kind of sucks because I guess it's technically zero dollars. But like, if you don't win any money, but a thousand bucks worth of scratch offs, like I'm not a scratch off guy, but you're winning something, right? Odds are, find out what he win, what he won. Like the the odds of you winning nothing from a thousand dollars of scratch off is pretty slim, isn't it? Let's see. It was two hundred tickets, so I got it backwards. It was a it was a thousand dollars in scratch off tickets, which was two hundred of them, and he won about five hundred bucks. Uh, that's pretty good. I would go nuts over five hundred bucks. I could use five hundred extra bucks if I made a half court shot. I could too, man. But could you imagine sitting there scratching off two hundred lot? <laughs> yeah, that'd almost get annoying. I'd have to have other people do it for me. Is that allowed? Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, they, they can't really. I mean, I could buy them and, and hand them to my son and let him scratch them off, you know? I probably shouldn't have said that out loud, but yeah. I wasn't even paying attention when when the lady hit the putt. Like, I was looking down, like paying attention to something else, and all of a sudden everyone gets nuts. And I thought, like, Kermit Davis may have come back on the court for, like, an encore or something just to, like, like give the officials one like one last piece of his mind because he was like booted, but then I realized like the lady didn't even really react. Like she was just like, "All right, sweet. Like where are the keys?" So I would have. Uh, I guess she can't really run around. Uh, but that was a uh, that was definitely the highlight of the game. Did anything else happen sports wise over the weekend that we missed? I don't think there was. Uh, I think uh, Florida swept Miami in baseball, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which was kind of the marquee series nationally. Uh, Tennessee uh, looks like UCF they're going to swept Auburn. I saw that. That's a uh, that's a pretty loud statement there by the Knights. I think so. State Oregon State dropped two of three from Stark. Well, that seemed to be a pretty competitive series uh, both ways. I yeah, mean, pretty much for all State, three games. Um, oh God, what's his name? I, I should know this. I'm such an idiot. Um, the guy that started in place of JT Ginn, he was fine, but only pitched three innings. Um, his pitch count got up there a little bit. Oh, my God. What's his name? I, I feel like such an idiot. That's something that I should know. Either way, um, I don't know if that's – it's just one game, and so maybe we'll see. But um, Kessler, but he doesn't say it that way. It's spelled Kessler, but it's – it's Kessler. That, that's not how that should be pronounced. But – the point is, he only went three innings on 68 pitches, and he, he pitched okay, walked a couple of guys. He was fine. But if JT Ginn's deal is a more long-term permanent thing, uh, they're going to shuffle that rotation. There, I mean, there's no way you throw him on, on Friday, based on what I saw. Not in the SEC. Not in this league with the pitchers that you've got. There's no way. You are conceding defeat every Friday if you do that. Well, some teams do that. You like you talk about Missouri, like Missouri a couple years ago didn't really have a dominant like like top shelf arm guy, so they kind of went not Johnny Holstaff, but they 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 threw a kid that you would probably normally see on Sunday or in long relief, and just kind of get like just hoped hoped for the best in terms of what he gave you, and then would throw what was that kid's name? T.J. Sikama, I think they would throw him on Saturday and then have their Sunday guy. So some teams kind of. Like you've seen a little bit more of that in the last couple of years, of some teams kind of backloading their rotation or at least changing up one of the pieces. Whether Lamonis does that or not, I don't know. It'll probably depend on Ginn's health. But the, I mean, it could be effective if you've got a really, particularly if you've got a really good offense or you have like a decent viable option. I mean, you just kind of know Friday night's the one you're going to have to probably kind of grind out like a Sunday series decider type of thing, and then backload the rotation. That would be kind of an interesting way to go about it. I wonder if he'll do that. 
Huh. That is a really interesting thought. I don't know if if people would appreciate that, though. You know what I mean? And I guess it doesn't matter. You coach the best way you think it is, but, God, fans would absolutely hate that. Yeah, I already had people that were texting me that a couple weekends ago. Doug didn't have a great outing against Louisville. I had people being like, should you move him on Saturday and just concede Friday? It's like, Jesus, man, it's opening day. Like, call, calm down. Uh, but it is certainly a different way to go about it. Auburn's done that in the past. I'm trying. There was another team that came into Oxford a couple years ago that kind of did it. You usually see it when you don't have a top shelf arm talent type of guy. Which uh, I I know that Sarantola kid is supposed to be pretty good for state. I don't know what he is in terms of stuff and arm talent. But like if when you lose a JT again, like that would be that would be something that would call for such a strategy. I guess if if you wanted to implement it, but. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, elsewhere around the SEC, uh, Tennessee had a pretty good weekend in one of those round robin deals. In like, I think they were in Round Rock, Texas. The uh, the SEC is stupid loaded. I guess that's kind of the breaking news. Uh, that's the shocker of the weekend. Yeah, no kidding. And then, uh, although Florida, Florida going down there and taking it to Miami was. Uh, I don't know necessarily shocking or surprising, whatever you want to call it, but uh, another, I guess just kind of indictment on ACC and Pac-12 baseball. But anyway, that was really about it in terms of the sports world this weekend. I don't think really anything else much earth-shattering happened unless I missed something. No, there was a ref show in L.A. that ruined a really good game between the Lakers and the Celtics yesterday. Uh, that stinks. I didn't really catch much of that. It was a great game. Um, they, they had a couple of reviews that they did not call correctly, and then with a minute left in a one-score game, uh, one of the refs gave Brad Stevens a technical for simply arguing a call. It was just stupid. It was a really good game until the end. I mean, the Lakers deserved the win. They made the plays down the stretch. The Celtics didn't. But my God, I mean, if you're going to do a, an instant replay review twice, get the damn thing right. Yeah, that is <laughs> certainly true. I did actually see the end of that. And then Stevens got actually teed up by... Uh, an official he wasn't talking to at the time too which makes the uh, you, you just don't you don't give a coach a technical there you, you just you eat it whatever he's saying to you you take it and you don't directly affect the outcome of a game with under a minute left I don't care what he's saying uh, just let it go I agree so NBA race is heating up we'll probably we could get into some of that on Wednesday I suppose we don't have a ton ton going on this week Ole Miss back in action Tuesday against Southern Miss at four, West Burton on the mound for the Rebels. And then that night, a couple hours later, Ole Miss is at Auburn in hoops. So we'll have that for you on Wednesday. We'll have coverage of all that stuff at supertalk.fm. I think that's about all I've got today, Borky, unless you're missing something you want to get to. Uh, that's about it, man. Uh, I'll remind you one more time. Go to see Greg, LB's University Avenue. We're going to talk to Greg on Wednesday, get some uh, meat tips uh, kind of let you know what he's got going on at LB's right now. Probably talk some baseball, maybe what goes into feeding the baseball team. I don't know. Greg's always just an interesting dude to talk to. So we'll have that for Wednesday. But go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger. He's got steaks, custom cuts, daily specials. You can go get a plate lunch. He's always got something cooking in there and decide what you want to throw on the grill later. But if you're going to Swayze this spring, he's absolutely the best place to go get meat, whatever you want to throw on the grill and watch a baseball game and sip some beer. So go see him, University Avenue, across from Kroger. Borky and I will be back at it on Wednesday. We appreciate you guys listening. If you like what you heard today, like and subscribe to the podcast, rate and review the podcast. I always appreciate the feedback, but we'll be back at it on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.